From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And guess what? This is not the legislative wrap-up edition of the Extra Credit Podcast because re- the legislature is not wrapping up this week. We regret to inform you. We, we regret to inform you that the legislature will be back uh, bright and early Monday, April 1st. Do with that what you will as the session continues. And one of the things that's continuing, there are really a couple of issues of note that are uh, that are still hanging fire at, at the state house as we head into April. One is the ongoing saga of the funding formula that we were almost ready to write off last week, but it's it's back in this abbreviated funding formula light format. Yeah, it's one of a handful of sessions that are unresolved. It's probably not the issue that's keeping the legislators here into April, and we can get into that. But last week, we sort of teased out that there was maybe this last-minute, scaled-down, Hail Mary version to keep the funding formula debate alive, and then we thought that that was going to die. It turns out that a bill related to that, but different to that, was introduced by a couple of freshman senators in the House Education Committee on Monday. Uh, It's a definitions bill that also has new reporting requirements, and and we'll get into that. But basically, a couple of little-known first-year senators have been able to do something that Certainly no House member has been able to do this year, and that's get something related, at least tangentially, to the funding formula through the House Education Committee. Uh, it took like 79 days, and, and then it happened with almost no fuss and no debate and no opposition, and people felt good about it. Um, that bill, though, it's important. It would not, on its own, uh, change how Idaho schools are funded or how money is delivered between the state and the school districts. It would not do any of that, but the purpose, at least according to its sponsors, who are, um, and let's give them some credit here, Senator Jim Woodward, a Republican from Sagal, mm-hmm. and uh, Senator Dave Lent, a Republican from Bonneville County. I want to say Idaho Falls, former Bonneville uh, school board member, or Idaho Falls school board member. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, Senators Lent and Woodward introduced that bill in House Education, and they're couching it as there were some concerns when we were talking about maybe doing the full-blown funding formula, concerns about the validity and accuracy of some data and about which terms and definitions that we would use. And so they're hoping to standardize some definitions, create some new reporting requirements so that if they do come back 2020 legislative session or some point beyond there to do a full-blown rewrite, maybe they would have some new terms uh, that people would be using for the past year and, and some new data coming forward right. based on enrollment. And, and the definitions matter because if you do change the funding formula at some point and go to a student-based model, an enrollment-based model, how you define student groups and how you place students within those those subgroups, that really does matter because money is going to follow students and, and follow students in specific uh, demographics uh, you would be putting more money into uh, teaching students who are special education students, right. econom- economically disadvantaged. That's the weights that, that was English a little bit of a, a... Gifted and talents. It's yep. all of this weighting that has been talked about in the funding formula. All of that hinges on students that fall into these subgroups. So the definitions really do matter. And yeah. I think that's part of the reason that uh, lawmakers have been sort of galvanizing behind the idea of trying to do some sort of a definitions bill this year, get something on the books this year as a building block for a funding formula rewrite somewhere down the road. So that's one of the things that this bill does. It also puts the legislature on the hook to do a five-year review 
of the school funding formula. And this review is going to be coming on its fifth year before too long. So that, I mean, it could contemplate and literally set up this situation where we are almost constantly uh, looking at Idaho's public school funding formula. But as you pointed out, I think last week, we're talking about $2 billion worth of taxpayer money here. Maybe that's not such a bad idea. It'll always be on the radar to some degree. Also, there are some reporting requirements. Schools will have to uh, report data to to the state as part of this process, as part of this uh, transition, maybe towards a, a new funding formula. And that goes to sort of an ongoing criticism that we've heard of the funding formula bills, the bills that would have overhauled the funding formula. Recurring concern that all of these uh, bills were based on sort of a, a mishmash of data run, run across multiple years. Right. So. Here, the idea is let's try to get some sort of uh, a data set that uh, you know, is, is you know, predictable and it's consistent and it kind of informs what a funding formula might look like if you ever do a rewrite of the funding formula. So that's the state of the issue right now. And that's the bill that we saw. And we, we were both in House Education on Wednesday when they had a full-blown hearing. Lo and behold, House Education had, had a full-blown hearing on a funding formula bill, the, the, the funding formula light. Um, there were some concerns that came up, not just uh, in committee, but also some concerns raised by some of the, uh, some of the, the stakeholder groups. Yeah, the, and it gets into there were some issues with about the timing of the reporting requirements, some data being due on October 1st and December 1st, and whether that aligned with the state's existing data upload schedule. But really, and you wrote about a couple of these issues, you blogged about one, but there were some concerns about how it treats salary schedules and the career ladder salary law. And that was one of the bigger, one of the two big ones that we heard about from the education groups. Because in the new definitions bill, the funding formula light bill, uh, it, it, it talks about school districts adopting a local salary schedule and adopting the minimum salary on the initial residency rung of the career ladder. So far, so good. That's mm-hmm. exist, you know, that's what's in existing state law, that the minimum salary, which would be R1 under the um, career ladder, is in state law. There was a bill to raise that this year. We've covered that. You know, that's all pretty cut and dried. But this new definitions funding formula bill talked about a minimum salary of, I want to say, 42500 yes. on the first professional rung of the career ladder. Generally speaking, that would apply to teachers in their fourth year of teaching, uh, but they do have to meet some requirements and benchmarks to jump from the residency rung, the initial three rungs, up to the professional rung. So Generally speaking, fourth-year teachers right. and beyond mm-hmm. is, yes. is who that would apply to, but it, it definitely is a little bit more complicated than that. But So that was called out. In this new definitions bill, the sponsors have told us that that's just for definitions purposes. It's just it wouldn't actually enact that change. But I, I, that was something that that I wrestled with and, and that mm-hmm. I looked at because of the way it's written, it specifically carves out that forty two five. Um, the sponsors say they've updated the statement of purpose to make clear that this is just a definition of the local salary schedule. It's not actually mandating how districts would pay. Uh, their teachers, but that was something that stakeholder groups were concerned about. Even Tim Hill, uh, the deputy mm-hmm. superintendent for public school finance, uh, who is absolutely one of the state's leading experts uh, in, in funding formulas in public school finance, he said, you know, 
perhaps this is a conflict between the career ladder law and this new bill, and, and I would urge you to change this now and prevent a future legal challenge down the road. Um, right, and, and the crux of the debate about this, uh, this language in this second minimum salary that appears in the bill, the Idaho Education Association is, is adamantly opposed to adding this other minimum into, into the bill. Their contention is that by adding that minimum, you're, you're changing, it, it, potentially you could be changing the salary structures and the salary schedules that school districts have across the state. Because remember, school districts don't have to adopt the career ladder all, as a salary all schedule. All they have to do is the bare minimum salary. Right. They only have to do the minimum, which has been on the books all along. So, there's, uh, so inserting another minimum, kind of a you know, fourth year minimum or sort of a, you know, not entry level, but you know, secondary minimum, the IEA says that, that that's going to complicate the process. It's going, to, uh, it's going to complicate labor negotiations that are going on right now. It's going to uh, maybe subvert or compromise the salary schedules that some school districts have. So you have this, this sort of weird dynamic that here is the teachers union arguing against a minimum salary. Lori Dan Hartog, senator from uh, yeah. Meridian, who's been very active in writing school funding formula legislation all session, called out the IAA on Twitter and said, I don't understand why the teachers union would oppose minimum salaries. Well, yeah, I think I think their concern, I think the union's concern as it came up in committee was they don't want this extra minimum salary inserted into the schedule, inserted into state law in the middle of this process, in the middle of uh, a negotiations uh, season when districts across the state and charters across the state may or may not have, uh, you know, may or may, may not be using the career ladder, may have their own schedules. Because I think... So, but, but I think, you know... And, uh, uh, I'm belaboring that point, but maybe the bigger point in all of this is what we heard Wednesday over and over was that this isn't a perfect bill, that there are a lot of things that are going to need to be fixed along the way. Maybe you fix them in the rulemaking process. Maybe you fix them in the statement of purpose. You know, this, you know, as you might expect, a bill that's being written in the span of the final few days of the legislative session, there are quite a few bugs that seem to be uh, <laughs> coming out that even the sponsors of the legislation say have to be addressed in one manner or another. So, you know, you know, there was a move in House education to just send the bill to the amending order and try to fix the legislation itself. That didn't go anywhere. The bill is on its way to the House floor, warts and all, because, you know, it is not a flawless piece of legislation. Nobody's presenting it as such. Yeah, and the sponsors each reached out to me. They said they will update the statement of purpose. They said it is not their intention to institute that second minimum salary. Uh, so they said that's not their intention and that they would make it clear that that's not the intention. You also had a really interesting blog about a really complicated debate about how we define economically disadvantaged students. And that's another situation where it, th th that's been a difficult point hanging over this entire funding process going back to the interim committee over the summer because it, it's, it's difficult to, to determine at the school district level um, what economically disadvantaged students are for purposes of this funding way. And you talked about community uh, eligibility provisions of the free and reduced lunch program. Right, right. Uh, and that was something that um, the education groups brought up with their concerns during that meeting on uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, that I mean, to, to, make, to make a long blog post short here, yeah. uh, and do read the blog post if you want to get more detail about it, what it comes down to is, 
and we heard it from the Nampa School District and the Caldwell School District, they felt like they were going to be asked to try to compile data about free and reduced lunch eligibility that, in the words of uh, an official with the Nampa School District, he's not sure they can even collect it. They like legally, they're not they allowed to. They do not have the legal yeah. authority to ask these questions that are being asked in the legislation. So, again, this is another kind of bug in the bill that, you know, we'll see what happens with the bill, but uh, the committee spoke pretty strongly, at least along party lines on Wednesday, that they wanted to send this thing to the floor. Uh, you know, you know, you, you pick your metaphor here. Ju- Judy Boyle said, you know, let's get this train on the tracks. This is an itsy-bitsy step. Let's, uh, let's do something. So, you know, now it's up to the House as a whole to decide whether they want to do something with it. Then the process has to begin all over in the Senate. So in the final few days of the legislative session, we, we assume we're in the final few days of the legislative session next week, this thing's going to have to move fairly quickly. And, you know, lawmakers are going to have to come to reckoning with, uh, are they willing to do this when there are, you know, clearly some things in the bill that are going to need to be addressed in rule, that are going to need, need to be fixed along the way. Yeah, and I really do understand the point where the sponsors are coming from saying, hey, one of the things we heard during this funding formula debate is that we don't have standardized definitions and that we don't have the types of valid data that would help us make this decision. So here's our solution to that. They, they are trying to make a, a, a solution. Um, and I get that. And I see that. And they're saying we're not trying to implement that, that second minimum salary. And we do think that there is a way to... Um, determine the at-risk population or the economically disadvantaged populations within individual school districts. They said they want to make that clear. They want to address the concerns of the education groups. But really, they said they just want to have better data to make a better decision uh, next year. And it will be up to the legislature. The House, potentially, on Monday morning, could take this up on the floor. If it passes there, which I would think it would have a high chance of passing there, uh, then it would go to the Senate. And the process would start anew in the Senate Education Committee. And so that is one of the big unresolved education issues that we're watching uh, as we stay here for what could be uh, the final week of the session next week. And, and but there's more going right, on. Right. And clearly there's motivation to try to get this done and move along quickly because it does have to pass both houses within the span of a few days. There had been talk about trying to speed up the process and put this to a vote on the floor on Thursday. It was poised for a vote on Friday morning. It was uh, on the third reading calendar, which means that in theory it was good to go. The House could have taken it up on Friday. Didn't happen because Friday morning was a dramatic morning on, on the House floor. Really some, some tense, sometimes very heated, sometimes emotional, but really fascinating debate about the initiative overhaul bill. Uh, consumed Friday morning, kind of took us uh, off of our education coverage took, you know, you know, but it was really fascinating stuff to watch. You had a front row seat. Um, I was watching the feed, but really for three hours, the House had this epic series of two debates over ballot initiatives and the citizens' ability to bring ballot initiatives uh, forward to the state. Uh, you were sitting right there. It was really interesting and really epic for a number of reasons, not least of which is because you had some of the really most conservative members of the House siding with the liberal Democrats uh, in opposing uh, the restrictions to some of these ballot initiatives, and then passionate, fiery floor debate. Um, I, I don't know. You, you had a front row seat, so walk me through what you saw and, and what well, stood out to you. I mean, well, you've watched the legislature for years and years. I think it was one of the most riveting 
rounds of debate that I've seen on the House floor in years. And, you know, and I've watched this for years. I mean, this was, this was fascinating stuff for a lot of the reasons that you talked about. The kind of the coalition, if you will, where you had uh, Democrats on the House, almost every Democrat debated against it, and they all voted against it, but yeah. nearly every Democrat took, you know, stood up to debate against the bill. And then you had conservative uh, Republicans debating against the bill. I mean, two things that really jumped out in that debate um, from, from two lawmakers who are far apart on almost everything else. Uh, Matt Erpelding, the uh, House Minority Leader from, from the North End in Boise, debated and he kind of went back to the roots of Idaho's initiative law and went back to 1912 and the origins of this idea of direct, direct democracy and inserting direct democracy into the Constitution that it came on the heels of the 17th Amendment that allowed for direct election of U.S. senators as opposed to legislatures electing U.S. senators and saying, you know, this came at a time when there were concerns about government corruption and the idea of, you know, bringing more power back into the hands of the people directly as a check against that sort of uh, corruption that was occurring at the time. And he was admonished strongly, and there was this huddle on the, on the yeah. House floor, and I had a front row seat for the huddle, where House Speaker Scott Bedke was insinuating that uh, Representative, Representative Erpelding was accusing the current legislature of being corrupt. He didn't say that, and there was this big back and forth and very very heated argument uh, in a sidebar between Erpelding and House leadership, House Republican leadership. Just gives you an idea of how emotional the issue is. But So you had Representative Erpelding kind of going back to the roots of this, uh, you know, of this initiative constitutional clause that we have on the books. And then you had Heather Scott, a conservative Republican from North Idaho, from the northernmost district in Idaho. And I thought her debate was, was fascinating. I thought it was really well, well thought out and, and really got to the heart of the matter where she was saying, why do we have initiatives in the first place? Why do voters go to the initiative process, they, they do it because they're frustrated, they feel like they're not being heard, that there are issues that we're not addressing, you know, and they feel like they need this right to redress. And what are we trying to do with this bill, making it more difficult for voters to take matters into their own hands, to pass an initiative, talking about how this is really kind of a, a push and pull, a power struggle between the people and direct democracy as represented by initiatives and the legislature an indirect democracy as represented by, you know, the normal routine legislative process. I thought it was an amazingly interesting debate and really got to the heart of what we've seen for decades in Idaho, the tension between initiatives that do pass and the legislature that goes about the process of trying to either implement them, like we're seeing right now with Medicaid expansion, or not implement them as we've seen in the past with uh, initiatives on term limits. I, I thought she got at the tension that we've seen on the initiative process for decades and did it really effectively. I, I, it, was, it was a fascinating debate. I'm so glad that you pointed that out. Uh, Representative Heather Scott is not someone that, um, that we follow a lot. She doesn't sit on the education committees. Uh, and so we don't hear from her a lot. We don't cover her a lot. 
But uh, that was a powerful debate. I'm glad you've singled it out. In my mind, that is one of the debates of the year mm -hmm. uh, that she put down on the House floor uh, this morning, it, capturing the issue, um, putting it forward in a way that people can understand. And, and, and looking towards the future. Yeah. I also said, look, the demographics of the state are changing. And that's kind of the elephant in the room here is the concern that are the demographics of Idaho changing? Is this going to lead to other initiatives? She didn't say marijuana, but we've heard a well, lot of people talking about marijuana. Yeah. I mean, they got a lot of people. But you can insert a lot of other issues into this mix of things that the legislature hasn't addressed over the past few years that a, a sizable number of Idahoans would want to see addressed. Add the words, faith healing, pre-K. Yeah. You, know, you, you can, you can name, name your cause that you feel like the legislature hasn't addressed over the past few, few years or a few decades you know, and how the demographics may change uh, the likelihood of getting an initiative on the ballot and getting an initiative passed. So really interesting stuff. End of the day, the bill passed yeah. 40 to 30 on the heels of narrowly passing in the Senate 18 to 17. Those numbers are significant because in neither House is there a veto-proof majority yeah. for House Bill for Senate Bill 1159. So we don't know what the governor is going to do. You know, Governors tend not to talk about what they're going to do with legislation until it's time for them to do something with legislation. Should Governor Little veto this bill, almost certainly his veto is going to be upheld. I mean, there, there might not even be a vote because there's, you know, both houses are so far away from that two-thirds uh, needed for an override. It's unthinkable that uh, they would be able to override a veto. I just can't see how it would be at all possible. We don't know if there's going to be a veto. Right. And I know that there's a lot of lobbying right now. Uh, directed at the governor to veto this this bill so we'll see what happens a powerful floor debate normally that's you know that's not directly related to education uh, but it relates to the political process the citizens initiative process but it was education. such a powerful I felt like it was back in grad school I yeah like it was back in in you know you know it was a poli sci you know, debate it was it was fun it was really interesting to watch and you know yeah a bill this important an issue this important should be debated this robustly and, and on issues and, you know, looking at the past, looking at the history, looking at the constitutional implications and looking towards the future of what something like this would do. So it was really good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Hats off. Uh, some of that debate was really powerful. Uh, you called out a couple uh, cases in particular. Um, so good stuff there. A lot of fun to watch. I, I hung on every word sitting there watching it and you were right up there on the floor. Um, but we've mentioned how we think that this could or should be the final days of the legislative session next week. We talked about the funding formula definitions and, and, and reporting requirements, Bill, and, and where that's at. What else are you going to be watching, and, and what would it take to really wrap this thing up um, and maybe go home mid to late next week? Well, there's going to have to be some closure on the Medicaid expansion issue, and that has really sort of come to a bit of a standstill. Um, we don't follow this very closely, but you know, in a nutshell, the, the Senate rejected the House-passed version of um, you know, Medicaid sideboards with more of a mandatory re work requirement. The Senate has its version of a bill. It's up for amendment. It hasn't been amended yet. It wasn't taken up on Friday. That could come on the Senate side on Monday. So there has to be some sort of a closure. Yeah. Uh, Governor Little has been adamant. You've got to resolve the Medicaid issue before you go home. So that has to be resolved. There will be some closure, obviously, on the initiatives bill, uh, right. on the initiatives issue, whatever that turns out to be. Um, 
And, and what it really leads to is, I don't, you said it before, and you're right, we wouldn't be here for a funding formula light legislation. It's not a going home bill. It's not something that the legislature would stay in right. town to do. But here we are, we, we are in town. So I think that's given, given the sponsors of the funding formula bill some time, some opportunity, <laughs> some, you know, you know, it's given them some bandwidth. They've had the opportunity to present a bill and get it on the House floor. There is time to get this thing through both houses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, for sure there is. You know, all kinds of rules can be suspended along the way if there's, uh, if there's support in both houses for this thing. It's going to pass. I mean, there's time. Logistically, they can get this thing through. So, you know, those are the three issues that we'll be watching next week. Those are the three, you know, kind of headline issues and really only one of which directly dealing with education, so that's the one we'll be watching most closely. We have not forgot about the State Board of Education budget that was defeated on the floor earlier this session. It feels like 100 years ago at this point. Uh, you were there in JFAC when a rewritten version came out Friday morning. That's on its way. Obviously, all of the budget bills, including the State Board of Education budget, would have to pass uh, before we can go home. We have not forgotten about that. Uh, you've been tracking it, so if you want to get caught up on that, right. head to our roundup from Friday morning, March 29th, to get caught up on that. And we expect that to make its way um, forward starting you know, next week. Right. And, and again, I think those, that's the kind of bill where I think both houses probably suspend rules and try to get it through, assuming that it passes the House this time. And there were so many variables that led to the, uh, the bill dying on the House floor a couple of weeks ago. It's hard to predict uh, whether lightning would strike twice and you'd see a similar sort of you know, odd coalition where you had conservatives opposing it for one reason, Democrats opposing it largely as a protest vote. You know, never say never. We, we can never really predict with surety what's going to happen at this stage of the session, except that sometime before they go home, they do have to pass the state board budget. The new version, not really a whole lot different than the first one. It, it cuts some money because of the demise of that turnaround schools bill, which we wrote about last week, you wrote about last week, that, that died on the House floor. So. Yeah. Before we go, I want to take my hat off to the rest of the Idaho Education News team. It seems like, you know, you and I sort of step away, um, almost like we go away to camp or something like that and cover the legislative session. We're over there uh, basically embedded with the legislature all day long, every day for, what is it, 82 days in a row now. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, the rest of our team, especially uh, our Eastern Idaho reporter Devin Bodkin, our reporter Sammy Edge, and our data analyst Randy Schrader, have been doing incredible journalism, taking a look at some of the pr financial practices of what at this point has become a handful of school districts yeah. that have, school districts or charters that have uh, concerning or perhaps uh, problematic financial practices. Devin has taken a look. Uh, we've talked about the work he's done looking at the Blackfoot Charter Schools and their reimbursements, their relation with their uh, sort of head of school and, and some of the purchasing uh, processes that they've gone through. Uh, just this week, he had another story taking a look at the Shelley School District and some questions that have come out yeah, of that another, public school district out of Eastern Idaho. Another forensic audit, this time directed at that school, specifically the high school, some questions about spending at, at that high school. So, you know, Devin taking a close look at those. Uh, you mentioned Sammy Edge. She's been looking uh, closely at the Village Charter School in Boise and the fate of the, the Village Charter School and questions that, uh, you know, they're still trying to get to the bottom of in terms of spending in that school. So, you know, you know, 
I think I said it last week, and I think it bears repeating. What we wind up covering at the state house is kind of the macro level of where state dollars go and, and how how they're allocated. But this micro level work is really really important. That's where the money is really being spent, and that's where when you have questions about spending practices and spending decisions, that, that that's where it really impacts taxpayers and affect and impacts students and impacts parents. So. Yes, a uh, shout out to, to Devin, to Sammy, to Randy, who've been tracking all of this down. And, um, you know, one of these days we'll be back in the office uh, helping out, uh, looking at, at local education policies as well and, and trying to sort of fuse together the statewide policies and uh, what happens on the ground locally. Well, and it's just fascinating for me at a time, you know, speaking of covering the legislative session, at a time when the legislature is looking at reducing reporting requirements, uh, for school districts and charters and reducing some of the uh, standards for charter school administrators and reducing some of the accountability. At the time they're looking to loosen some of those things up, there's these investigations going <coughs> into questionable financial and administrative practices at existing charter schools, and in the case of Shelley, a public school district. So that's just fascinating to see that while the legislature on the one hand is trying to loosen up requirements and, and ease some of the burdens and give more flexibility and set different standards for administrators, this is going on under the current rules right now. Right. And, and, uh, and I think that's important. Uh, and I think it's awesome that, that they're highlighting that. And it has been a really quietly busy legislative session in terms of charter school legislation. Uh, yeah. You know, the bill to relax charter school administrator requirements. This is pretty much the same bill that uh, Governor Otter vetoed on the final day of the 2018 legislative session. Uh, Governor Little signed it into law. I wrote about this earlier this week. And you know, his message, the governor's message was, uh, I'm giving you this le leverage to innovate. I want to see some innovation. I want to see some something happen here. But I'm also going to keep an eye on how this process works because I have heard the criticism of relaxing the administrator standards, it, the the criticism that we heard in those committee hearings, where why would you why would you relax standards uh, when it comes to somebody who's going to have to oversee schools and oversee curriculum and evaluate teacher performance? Why would you want somebody with who doesn't have a strong education background doing that sort of work? So that bill is law, and now we'll kind of see how it plays plays out and see what charters wind up doing with that uh, with that authority. Another bill that flew through, I wrote about it earlier this week, that would create a, some backup funds that are designed to insulate in case a charter school falls behind on payments on building finance. The idea being that this is going to enable charter schools to get a better interest rate, save money on financing, and put more money into the classroom. This thing flew through in two weeks with very little debate in the Senate or in the House. The Senate suspended rules and did it in an afternoon. Uh, the House, you know, went through it fairly quickly, you know, and it's going to be very important for us now to watch and see what happens with it and see how this works on the ground and does it work on the ground. It's been tried in other states. Uh, sponsors say it's worked in other states. Uh, assuming that this becomes law, assuming that uh, Governor Little signs this into law, how will it work? Yeah. A lot of interesting questions. And, um, 
Yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but that sort of foreshadows where we'll go, you and I, Kevin, uh, when the legislative session adjourns, taking a look at the implementation of some of these bills and taking a deeper look at accountability provisions, uh, both the new ones and what's existing uh, in law right now. So a yeah. uh, little bit of a homework assignment for us as we hopefully prepare for the end of the legislative session uh, and, and look ahead to the rest of the school year in the summer. So. Uh, we will stay busy, whether yes. or not the legislative session adjourns next week. We will also be back with a brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast next week, whether or not the legislative session adjourns. Uh, and we'll just let you know um, where things stand. If you want to follow these debates or, or get caught up on anything we maybe talked about today that you'd like a closer look at, uh, the best way, just head to the homepage, idahoednews.org. Another good resource is giving us a follow on Twitter if you're on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. Uh, we link to our big stories, live tweet the big meetings and debates. Uh, so those are probably the two best ways to stay informed uh, between podcasts if you want to follow the action uh, from the legislative session or follow the action uh, from the rest of our team as they take a closer look at what's happening out in the real world out in these uh, school districts and charters. But uh, we always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.